Welcome to the I Work For Him podcast. I'm Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program, the voice of the faith and work movement. Our mission is to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. What does that look like in your workplace? Let's find out right now. And on Tuesdays, wait a minute, it's Wednesday, but today we have a very special edition, Martha, of Together on Tuesdays <laughs> on a Wednesday. You just t- couldn't get enough out of a Tuesday, so you went into the well, next day. We weren't able to schedule these very special guests on a Tuesday, so we extended Together on Tuesdays with Jim and Martha, where we talk about marriage and relationship issues, and we... Moved it to a Wednesday this week, so back-to-back marriage and relationship issues shows. You know, however you're listening to I Work For Him, we're so grateful that you tune in. Make sure you check us out online, lots of different ways. IWorkForHim.com, that's IWorkTheNumberForHim.com, and then on our uh, Facebook page. Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways we would just love to connect with you guys, but the most important thing is just that we know that um, wherever you are and however you're listening, which you can find out all those resources on our website, um, just we pray that you are impacted by something that is said today. So check us out online anywhere at I Work, the number four, him, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, or on IWorkForHim.com. You know, marriage is difficult for sure, for absolute sure. Yes, there's days that seem like wedded bliss, but then there are days that seem more like a wedded mess. Learning to love in marriage and work through conflict is one of the toughest things we'll ever do. And guess what? After 31 and a half years, still doing it. Today, we hear from one famous couple, D.A. and Elisha Horton. They're going to talk about their marriage struggles and their victories as they enter the ring, which, by the way, is the name of their latest book. D.A. and Elisha, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you very much. Well, we're so glad to have you guys on the air with us today and glad that we're able to work out a day that worked for everybody. We are grateful that you guys said, hey, we can't ever make Tuesdays work. You got another day of the week? <laughs> so we're, we were grateful. Loved your book, loved your book, loved the transparency. But before we get into your book, Enter the Ring, Fighting Together for a Gospel-Saturated Marriage, really want to just, let's hear from you. DA, first you, how did you come to be a Christ follower? You know, uh, my mom, actually had me in church uh, from the age of five. She actually gave her heart uh, to the Lord at a Billy Graham crusade in Kansas City in 1978, two years before I was born. Um, and that just then led her on a trajectory to find a local church. And uh, that's actually how Alicia and I met, was doing ministry, evangelism, outreach, and the housing project for Kansas City. And the church that we were a part of is kids. Uh, so we learned how to do evangelism and share the gospel when we ourselves were not even believers yet. And it wasn't until... Uh, our mid-teenage years when the Lord called us to faith. And, I mean, my world was falling apart. I never thought I'd live to see 18. And by God's grace, uh, by the time I was 15, almost 16, I was convicted of my sin. I recognized that Jesus was the only qualified Savior for me. He endured the wrath of God on my behalf, and that's when I embraced him as Savior. And, actually, it's crazy because it was 22 years ago uh, when I took that uh, step to become a believer in Christ on uh, March 31st. 1996. So I'm coming up on my 22nd spiritual birthday, which is actually our daughter's physical birthday. She was born uh, March uh, 31st, 2004. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. That means you get a (laughs) 14-year-old. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a whole whole other show we could talk about. Raising teenage girls. Isn't it amazing? What was that? Yeah. It was very sanctifying. 
seriously in so many ways, but it is definitely a whole other season of life that we have just been constantly asking the Lord for guidance and wisdom because we need it. Mm, and that's the best thing that you can do is start right there and asking him. So I want to m- make sure it's Alicia, right? Is that how we say there it? You go. Okay, yes, perfect. Alicia. So Alicia, how did you become a Christ follower? Um, so, um, so yeah, so just like what Amon said, we were raised yeah. in the same church. Um, yeah. But we really knew a whole lot about God, but we, I personally did not know God. And so it wasn't until my um, freshman year going into um, that year, I remember being at one of our annual uh, summer camps and just really feeling that tug and pull. I was really going through a lot of stuff, you know, identity, identity crisis, really trying to figure out who I was where I wanted to be, found myself in between two groups of friends, some who mm-hmm. wanted to follow Christ, some who didn't want to follow Christ, um, all the while growing up in a neighborhood that was heavily influenced by uh, gang violence and just all that kind of stuff. And so I was really kind of stuck in the middle asking God for direction. And so I was actually pulled out of public school um, my sem- going into my seventh grade year. And my mom and dad just really felt like, man, like, we need to set her up on a different path before, you know, she keeps going down the path of destruction. And so, um, can you hear us okay? Yep, we can hear you okay. Okay, great. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, so we, uh, I went into the uh, private Christian school, having my own set of rules and agenda, but the Lord got a hold of me. And it was through a uh, basketball coach slash a Bible teacher who just really got into my faith and really challenged me, asking me what I was doing with my life, why I was continuously heading down the wrong path and making the worst decisions. And and that 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 really shook me. And so going into my freshman year, that at that camp I really went down and I kept the price. And from that point on I've been following me ever since. Mm. So it sounds like I, I I can see where you guys would have the understanding of how integral those um, teenage years are in making yeah. that commitment to follow Christ. So there, that's going to be your next book, right? <laughs> Probably, yes. Potentially, yeah. Very, Raising. <laughs> Raising Teenagers in the Ring. I think I, now there you go. You can take that title right here. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So, guys, here, here's a question. You guys start off the book telling about an argument that you guys had at 4.15 in the morning, which, by the way, my mom and dad said nothing ever good happened good after midnight. You're having this conversation at 4.15 in the morning in Kansas City. You almost called off the wedding. And in fact, Elicia, you threatened to sue for the cost of your wedding dress that you wouldn't be using. How did you guys recover from that argument to be talking to us all these years later? Um, so yeah, we didn't recover overnight. In fact, it took us quite a few months after to really step back and analyze where we wanted to be in the next year and what we really felt the Lord was trying to do in our lives. And it really boiled down, honestly, for me, with my spiritual immaturity and not realizing that all the baggage that I had continued to carry on in my relationship with Damon from previous relationships and just the hurt unforgiveness, the brokenness that I've never really had dealt with at that point, just literally compiled itself into a big mess in my heart. And so that was just a, a result of what I was going through. And so we really, we really had to step back and ask ourselves, is this what we're fighting for? Do we really want to be together? And we both realized we did, but we were now saying, okay, we're not just committed to each other, but we're committed to helping each other unpack the layers of hurt and brokenness that we have carried into our lives. And that. You know, praise God, we're still working on those things, 
But I feel like it came to a mutual understanding for both of us to realize that we were committed to love each other, even through the pain, even through the hurt that, that we have caused and inflicted upon each other in those moments. And then, you know, we just realized, wow, like we were really um, wanting to be together and, and fight for that. DA, what was your perspective that day as your, as your fiancé saying, hey, I'm going to sue you for having to return this dress? <laughs> what, what, was your, what was your perspective that night? Yeah, I just laughed at her, and I was like, man, whatever. I mean, that's what I told her, because, you know, it, we, I mean, there's no other way to say it. It was the height of our carnality in, in that moment, because we were saying ungodly things. We were using profane language. Like, it, it, was, it was full-out flesh. The Spirit mm-hmm. of God was not pleased with us in that moment. And so everything she said, I'm so, I was, by that time, I was so used to her saying stuff for shock value. I used to get scared by stuff like that, but, I mean, just to be candid, she, she broke off the relationship verbally, a hundred plus times prior to that. So it was just one of those where I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Anyway, let's get back to the issue at hand. And so, but that's when I, it was that argument, that's the one that we realized, either look, we're going to have to really see if we're going to be in this or not. Because if we're not, then we need to just count our losses and we need to move on. Or if we are, then we have to find better rhythms. We need accountability. We should never hit this low of a point ever again where God, the Holy Spirit, is grieved by the things that we are saying. Because the non-believing world that was watching us that night there was no distinction in our life between us and them. If anything, mm-hmm. they had more reverence and respect in that moment than we did because they stopped their sin while we continued ours. So we had to realize that. Wow. And if anybody wonders what DA does on a weekday basis, he's a preacher. And can he preach? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Now, how many years ago, DA, did you guys get married? I'm sorry, DA, I didn't get to hear that. How many years ago did you guys get married? It will be 15 years this coming June 28th. Good Lord, William. All right, 15 years. That's fantastic. Okay. All right, so with 15 years, when you consider, as you state, that your marriage is a union of two broken people who have both entrusted their hearts to God and each other while living in a broken world that keeps trying to tear them apart, where's the happily ever after and all that? (laughs) Well, I think I think I think the first thing about the happily ever after is that, that that's romantic. That works when you live life in a sitcom on TV or maybe a screenplay uh, that's a two-hour length film. That's where the happily ever after is. The reality of what we are called to pursue in Christ is the, the reality of joy and blessedness. And we even think about kingdom life and the blessedness that even Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's this holistic understanding that my whole life is impacted by the fact that I know God. So if we who were once sinners have been reconciled to God through the finished work of Jesus, then now my life is blessed holistically. So the happily ever after makes a great tear-jerking movie, but the reality of life is that if I'm living blessed, that is transcendent and beyond what this world says conditional happiness is. So now we can say through the rough times, through the arguments, through the frustration in our sex life, frustration in our finances, frustration with kids, frustration with moving our family with all the real trials and testings that come we can consider it pure joy when we face those things together because god is purging us of our carnality he is melding us for a deeper more meaningful oneness that he designed for us to enjoy in the covenant of marriage and so that's where we see the happily ever after we scratch that to say man we're walking in the blessedness of god bringing his joy into our relationship through the ups and downs the joy remains faithful 
All right, Elysia, I got a question for you. Okay, when he does that to you and gives you that kind of answer that like he got in <laughs> seminary, what do you do with that? What, what do you do with that? I mean, because because he can't be preacher to you at home because you're going to smack him upside the head. I'm sure. How do you how do you deal with that when when you're like? But I just want to have a happy moment. I, I understand all that carnality stuff and you know the, all that. Stuff. What? Do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, how do you deal yeah. with the? Hey, you were you were thinking when you got married, happily ever after. Right. Um, I really. It wasn't until our I think our five years into marriage, and we kind of talk about this, where we had a different level of communication that came from us talking about some real deep brokenness that we had in our lives, and so. I feel like we really had to work hard at understanding that we didn't get married to find happiness because honestly, I felt that that's what I understood. I'm like, hey, I'm getting this relationship. I'm going to find love. I'm going to find joy. I'm going to find all these things that basically took the place of what Jesus provides for me. And so it wasn't until me realizing that, man, only God can give me that satisfaction that I need, and out of the abundance of that comes my love for my husband, my children, and for everybody else, then I kind of got it twisted. You know, I was really thinking uh, wrongly and not truthfully, and so it it took real-life situations for us to be faced against, to be like, wow, like, we really do love each other. We really want to see each other uh, grow in Christ. We really want to see each other free from all these things, and so honestly, I love the fact that my husband and I, even though we both grew up in the inner city, you know, they say that have that saying, you can take the kids out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the kids, because that's basically how we are. And so we, we just are real with each other. You know, we have real-life conversations. We don't hold back. We don't, and we think about and consider each other's feelings, but we also are like, yo, like, we both know God's Word. We know that's the absolute truth that we live by. So how can we take the moments that we are disagreeing, take it to Scripture, and see how we can both apply it and work together at this? So, D.A., you know, when you're, you guys have, you're, you're a pastor at a main church, right? You've got a church body that you're leading on a, on a weekly basis, right? Yeah, yeah. We planted a church in North Long Beach, uh, Reach Fellowship, and myself and another pastor, John Newton, we we're shepherding that congregation together. How hard is it to live your married life and raising kids out in front of a congregation where they see your very real do you guys do you and Alicia get to do you live out your marriage real in front of your congregation so they can learn from you for real as opposed to just yeah. platitudes <laughs> yeah we have to man because i'm just being honest I, I think if there was that level of hypocrisy where we had a false life uh that we're projecting in front of people i, I don't think we could live with ourselves in that that state yeah. of being to be honest with you because when you love people, you want them to know the real you. So that's where I volunteer vulnerable content. Like, even in my sermons, I feel like God puts me in a position to live out the context of the passage before I even preach it. And by the time I get up on Sunday, I'm communicating, this is how I fail. And this is where God has given me grace to walk in victory. And so when we talk through issues, I, I use our family life. Uh, I'm learning to, to, to ask my daughters for permission. I, I ask Alicia for permission because, I mean, because one of my kids is like, oh, you can use me anytime. Like, it's all good. The other one is like, yeah, I really ain't feeling you, uh, you know, telling people the, the things about me. And a little guy, he's four years old. He really doesn't. He's neither here nor there yet. So, but, but, but that, those are the things. That's what makes the word of God more real to people. Because Amen. when I tell people, when I tell them, look, this is how I fail. But this is what the Word says. Jesus' perfection covers me, and it shows my insufficiencies, but it shows Jesus' sufficiency 
people in the congregation need to hear that. They need to see when me and Alicia are frustrated when our son is screaming his head off and we're trying to have a conversation with people. They need to see how we act when we're in public at a restaurant. They need to hear the frustrations that me and Alicia have when we're counseling a couple and we have to keep breaking our kids up from fighting. Like, like that's just the reality of life. And I think those are the teachable moments that our people love because they're like, we constantly hear the same kind of rhythm of comments. Like, man, y'all are real. We appreciate y'all. Yeah. And we're like, we don't know any other way. Right. Right. Well, there's no doubt that no matter what you, once they understand and they really appreciate the fact that you're being real, that the trust level is so much deeper. I can only imagine how that allows you to get through to them. So you talk about the gospel saturated marriage. What does that look like? I think when we look at the gospel saturation, I mean, I use the illustration of a bottle of starch leaking um, in my suitcase one time, and it got over everything. And so we just kind of use that as a parallel to understand the word saturation. So what we're saying is the gospel is not just what we what we say. It's not just, oh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 15. It, it speaks to every nuance of life, every nook and cranny. So that's why we approached it by saying a gospel-saturated marriage basically is where we apply the truth of the gospel, not just with our lips, but also with our lives in the areas of communication, our sexuality, uh, our child raising, our discipleship rhythms, our finances. Uh, the way that we're committed to the local church. So the gospel should speak to everything holistically in our life. And I think a couple of the practical things that we always try to highlight when explaining that is the fact that when we think of what the gospel means to us as sinners, we know that we were given much grace, grace unmerited, things that we did not deserve, but God gave it to us because of his love. And so we talk about that in addition to the forgiveness component. Like we have to to forgive others when we have been offended, especially in our marriages, versus holding grudges, not talking about it, speaking it under the rug, and not really wanting to speak into those moments where we know that, man, we've been forgiven much because God has forgiven us much. How can we withhold that forgiveness to others? And so it does. It speaks to every component of every part of our lives. And so helping people understand that concept is so key for us in communicating that. All right, so here's the question, because we talk about this all the time, that the fact that, that God created marriage as the fabric of society and that Christ followers' marriages should be the example to the community for for what marriage should look like. And, and even if we're living out when we make mistakes, like you guys just said, hey, you're, you're living out all your mistakes in front of a congregation, why is it that Christ followers should be living out their gospel-saturated marriages everywhere? Why is that so important that, that our marriages look and feel and sound different? Yeah, it's an illustration. Marriage is an illustration for God's love to his people. And so they should look at our lives and say, man, how is it that you guys can engage through all the turmoils of life and grow stronger rather than divided and separated? How can you forgive her for what she said or what she did? How can you continue to love him when he has these quirky, frustrating habits? And that's what we can say because we point to Colossians. We point to the ocean of forgiveness that God throws our sins in. And like Corey Timboom says, he puts up a no fishing sign. So the reality is, is that when we're forgiven, God actually treats us like we're forgiven. And that should be the essence of when the world looks at us, our marriages should draw them to jealousy to say, how can I get with the God that keeps you together? If you guys show forgiveness that way, who is the one to talk y'all? And then we take them to the Word of God. And, and how, when you preach that in your church, what's the reaction really quick? 
People pursue Jesus more deeply, and they pursue each other more deeply, and they extend grace and forgiveness to each other. Mm. Oh, love that. Lots more coming up with D.A. and Elysia Horton as we talk about their book, Enter the Ring, Fighting Together for a Gospel-Saturated Marriage. In fact, Martha, we're going to give away some copies of this book right now, aren't we? We are. You know, so I was just thinking about that. If people have been intrigued by just hearing a little bit of your guys' story, how real and forthright you are with um, all that you struggle with and how God helps you through it. I hope that people will be encouraged to call into the listener line and get a copy. 866-713-9675. 866-713-9675. That's the I Work For Him listener line. Leave your information. Martha will get back to you after the show. 866-713-WORK. All right, now back to D.A. and Alicia. Okay, all right, now here's the question. So we talk all the time about prayer and marriage being the absolute key component. I loved your comment in the book that two people in a covenant marriage sharing a bed and indwelled by the Holy Spirit not praying together, that's unhealthy. Alicia, talk to me about how that played out in your marriage. Yeah, um, well, again, we spiritual maturity was just a big contention in our marriage um, for the first five years. And it wasn't until us entering Bible college where we started understanding the importance of theology, understanding the importance of understanding the Word of God and really trying to apply it. And so marriage um, for us and not ha- and not having a regular rhythm of prayer was so unhealthy in so many ways because we would just argue or be uh, fussing with each other and not really taking the time to just stop and pray when we're literally both equipped with the Holy Spirit and knowing how to fight back. And so I really feel like it was just, um, it added more stress to us, not realizing, man, that we have the tools and the resources already given to us to go before the Lord, ask for his help and seek uh, wisdom on uh, knowing how to uh, move through the difficult circumstances that we were facing. So it took us having a constant um, rhythm first of unhealthy conversations, arguments, and disagreements for us to realize, oh, snap, uh, we should start praying about these more. I mean, we pray individually, but let's pray together more. And so we started developing a, a better rhythm with that. DA, how hard was that to develop that habit? It was it was challenging because, um, you know, I'm the one that should be leading it. And so I had to get over my pride uh, and admit to Alicia that I failed in leading her spiritually. And um, that was that was the greatest wall of division. That once that was taken down, then we began to develop a rhythm of prayer. And just to be honest, for the listeners, it, it wasn't as if we were, you know, carving out two and a half hours and, you know, the, the fire of God was falling in our bedroom. No, there would be times where it would be five minutes before we go to bed. And I would just I would just literally just, hey, babe, because she's closing her eyes like the most inopportune time. She's about to go to bed. And I'm like, hey, babe. How can I pray for you? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's like, you just got to do it. And that's the thing. Mm-hmm. So often, so often in our flesh, especially in Christian communities, we wrestle with this tension between organic and organized. You know, we want everything to be so organic, but sometimes I think that's a buzzword for being lazy. And I think that if you want it organic, then you, you got to make it happen and you got to be organized with being organic. So there was times where like, hey, before we go to bed, that's when we are going to take our time before the Lord. So it just, it just said, even if it was five minutes, in the evening, if it's three minutes in the morning, it's just about the sincere content of our heart. And God does not measure the effectiveness of our prayers based on length or how loud we pray, but rather the content from our heart that we're wanting to connect with Him. And we said, if we can connect physically for, for sexual intimacy, then why can we not connect spiritually as well? So I had to begin to lead that. And uh, yeah, so then Alicia has led us in prayer as well. So it's been a blessing. 
That's fabulous. We were mentoring a couple last week, and Jim asked them, you know, hey, is the, do you guys have to remember to brush your teeth? Well, no, we do that every day, you know, and multiple times a day. Or put your and, clothes on or, before you go to work. Or go to work or whatever. He's yeah. like, so think of it in the same terms of that. So in, I love that whole concept of organic versus organized because sometimes you do just have to say, we're not going to get through this day without praying together. Hey, MC Hammer yeah. said it best. MC Hammer <laughs> said it best. You got to we, pray just to make it. Pray. I have to make it today. That's we, right. We play that. We play that video at every one of our marriage retreats because that <laughs> the parachute awesome. pants are pretty awesome. But that <laughs> that oh, and it's so true. All right. So yeah. how? What kind of a difference did that make, guys, in your marriage? Once you started praying together on a daily, regular basis. Yeah, I think the wall of pride was big in both of us. We began to admit our errors. We began to call out our sin. Yeah. Uh, even when even when we had to call out the sin in each other's lives, uh, when the Holy Spirit gave us grace to identify blind spots, we began to see that our time and that wound and that sting that that having yourself, you know, your sin called out or your carnality, like we began to see that time frame going from a few days down to a few hours, down to a few minutes. Uh, you know, I mean, just to be honest, you know, I, I said a smart aleck uh, remark to Alicia last night before we went to bed that that offended her. And she just she said, you know what, that was mean. And she went to sleep. And, and, and I was like, you know what, that was messed up. So I knew I need to get this right with my wife. So I didn't start off by saying, you made me feel this. I said, look, I'm gonna be honest with you. That comment that I said was wrong. And I apologize. It came from woundedness and disappointment in where I was in that moment, and I want to ask you for your forgiveness. And she extended forgiveness. Yeah. That that would those kind of things would never happen if we're not praying together. Absolutely. Now, did you do that at night when she was going to bed, or did you wait till this morning to clean that up? <laughs> so I made the offense last night, and I waited till this morning to clean that up. Because I told him, I'm like, yo, I am way too tired to argue with right now. That hurt my feelings, and I'm going to bed. Yeah, and she and she literally went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long oh, as yeah. that's what works for you guys. So it, you got to wrestle with it all night long that's in the right. meantime, right? <laughs> I did. Yeah, yeah. She rested and I wrestled but God, because I was the one that committed the offense. And I mm-hmm. knew that if, if I tried to keep her awake, then that would have just added to, that would add an insult to injury. Then she would have been prone to be in the flesh because she's physically tired and yeah. she needs her rest. And so that's mm-hmm. where I said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to have to take the L on this. And I'm just going to have to confess my, my, my sin and my brokenness to her in the morning. Just give me grace to see the morning. Like, that's, that's what I was saying to God. Oh, man. I wish I went to your church. That would be fun to see you guys living this out. All right. I, we we only have about 15 minutes left, and I want I want to make sure I get – I mean, there's so much great stuff in your book. And we're we talking want to make about sure, a book, right? We're talking about a book. We're talking about your book, Enter the Ring, by D.A. and Elysia Horton. Fighting together for a gospel-saturated marriage. You want to get a copy of this, call the studio, call the I Work For Him listener line, 866-713-9675. All right. I'm just going to pick some topics and let you guys comment on I mean, I know I sent you guys a ton of questions. I knew I wouldn't get through them all, but I didn't know what I'd feel like today. All right. So, yeah, yeah. And as I'm reading the book, I always write the questions down as I'm reading it. And I read the whole book. And so there's so much good stuff in there. I mean, like, I want to know right now. Alicia said somewhere in there, I'm done. I'm done. And you open the door, tear off your clothes, and run out the door. What was that about? You know, I couldn't. I mean, we laugh about that. We laughed in that moment. I couldn't think of anything else to make her be quiet and stop fussing and threatening to leave me. She was pregnant. You know, this is this is within our first, not even our first year, I mean, within our first 12 months of being married. 
And I just figured, you know what, it started by taking off my boots, and then I just didn't stop until I was just with my underwear, and the door was open. And I'm like, yeah, I'm already committed to this process. I don't know what's next. <laughs> I, I, re- I, I was really at a loss. I didn't know what to do. And so it, it diffused that, and praise be to God, that's the only time I've ever done something like that. But, yeah, I, I didn't know where I was going, and I was already committed to it, so I was just like, yeah, we're going to see how this goes. <laughs> Alicia, you guys mentioned in your book the four nevers. What are those four nevers all about? Give me one quick second. Um, I usually kind of forget the four nevers. So all right, I'll come back to. I'll get to the page. Yeah, I'll get yeah. to the page of the book. I'll get it to because I forgot to put it in there. Okay, so you talk about busyness being the greatest threat to marriage. Explain that because this is a this is a plague nationwide, worldwide. Why is busyness a, a a threat to marriage overall? I think, you know, um the the reality is is because it, it it spreads our time thin. You know, we give a statistic in a book that a pastor gave about how little communication marriages on average have and it breaks down to literally within, you know, uh, less than less than a minute a day. And the reality is when you're pulled by work, you're pulled by kids, you're pulled by, you know, hobbies if you have them, but just the domestic responsibilities of living in a home and keeping a home together, paying mortgages, paying rent, the busyness of life, it can strip you away from each other. And and when you are having your kids in 50 different things in 40 different places and there's barely any time to come together, that's going to holistically damage the relationship, you know, where there's no communication uh, there's no checking in. There's no heart connectivity. That leads to broader problems. I mean, it, it brings just even just candidly in, in, in the realm of the sexual, the sexual intimacy in a relationship. The woman can easily feel like he just wants me for sex. He doesn't want to engage with me with any form of intimacy outside of physical sex. And then the husband could be like, she doesn't want to be intimate with me. And there's insecurities that may be involved in that. And it's all because you're too busy. You're not intentionally carving out time for each other, and you're allowing the schedule to be your taskmaster rather than gaining an understanding of having the built-in time for togetherness and oneness. And we found that we've had to put our kids to bed by 8.30 in the evening so that we can have a few hours of sitting and talking, uh, finding time for physical intimacy, you know, and and, and even just, like, all those things that... that Do you not say sex from the pulpit? Do you, you like, you always say physical intimacy? Do you just, uh, you know... Is it against your rule to say sex from the pulpit? No, <laughs> I want to make sure people understand what no. we're talking about. You He's got to make so time. He's oh, very poetic. I, I know words. he is. I, I've heard him speak. <laughs> uh, but but when, when when DA's saying physical intimacy, he's talking sex. Couples need to have sex. 72 hours is a great rule to have. This is something that's huge. Sex is important in marriage. God created it as the glue in our marriages. I just want to make sure I cleared it up in case people missed it in that six syllables, physical intimacy. Seven syllables. I'm used to kids being present, so I got. I don't want well, to teach the kids in the church. Daddy, what did, what did he mean when he said? Oh, no, no, we have to. We got to do that. We need to teach our kids about this. They, they need yeah. to hear it from us and not from the media. Right. All right, so the four nevers, Alicia, were never never fight back, never avoid the issues, never act as though you don't care, and never use manipulation to get your way. There you go, 30 seconds, comment on those. 
Yep. Thank you, Jim. Um, so yeah, never fight back. In those moments when the flesh is just having its way, it's not. If you're not going to get anywhere if you're trying to fight back or trying to get your point across. We both realize we come to the agreement that yo, if we're neither one of us are seriously mature in that moment to talk about it, let's table it, let's walk away, let's go pray, and then maybe the next day we'll be able to talk about it. And so, never mm-hmm. fighting back is not going to get you anywhere. Uh, never avoid issues. Don't sweep it under the rug. We've come from a generation where we want to talk about everything and air out our laundry, our dirty laundry on Facebook. But we've also been raised by a generation that wants to sweep everything under the rug. And so we are trying to help people understand that we have to confront the issue, even if it's at a different time. And that, it goes on to never act as though you don't care and never use manipulation to get your own way. That's because marriage is all about being selfless. We're talking with D.A. and Elysia Horton. Enter the Ring is the name of their book, and we're giving away a copy today online. Martha, what's that number for them to call? 866-713-9675. 866-713-WORK. All right, question. So you guys, I'm, we were just talking about you know kids listening in and what words they're going to be hearing and, and uh, you know what influence you're having on them. And we know in our own marriages, we have influence over our kids by our behavior and by how we act. How are you helping your kids? So like when you, when you falter and when you maybe argue or something, how are you helping them to learn how to overcome that same behavior? Um, absolutely. I, I can speak from personal experience because on a regular basis, I've been given the privilege to homeschool my kids. And mm. so I have them with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, almost, you know, all that. And so I feel like we've been able to really help fight back uh, those times by just being, again, real and open and vulnerable to them and, and allowing them to see that we are accountable to them as well. And so mm-hmm. that what that means basically is if they see mommy and daddy fussing or we're, they know we're not walking spirit-filled or we said something that was off or sideways, you know, they have the right to come and ask us, you know, what happened, what's going on. Or even um, you say, hey, do you want time of prayer? And it's been so beautiful and so humbling in those moments when either him and I have had a heated dis- disagreement or, you know, maybe it was something that I was dealing with with other types of relationships. Um, with family, like my kids will come and ask me for prayer. So we've been able to develop that rhythm of prayer in their lives as well. And also helping them again, understand grace and forgiveness. What does that look like? You know, those are great words, but mom and dad, what does that look like? And extending grace when they're been offended by their sibling and offering forgiveness when, even though they don't feel like they've done anything wrong and just really being able to like admit those things and help them understand what that looks like practically. Mm, Thank you. All right, so throughout your book, you guys both talk about the struggles of getting ready to plant the church that you're now at in Los Angeles. How are you within this church body? Because marriage is broken all over the country. It's been attacked all over the country for the last 50 years. How are you guys promoting healthy marriages at the same time ministering to those that have gone through through divorce and ministering to children of divorced couples? Because what we see is the collateral damage goes on for generations, as the Bible said. So imagine that. How are you guys launching a different kind of church that, that encourages marriage and helps people recover from the woundedness of divorce? Yeah, I think there has to be that intentionality in the sermon um, that communicates these truths, because you also want to add the complexities of sexual abuse, pornography, lust. So right now we're working through the Sermon on the Mount, and that is where Jesus is really calling out the internal framework of our heart and the condition of our soul, not just the external 
uh, actions that we have. And so that has provided so much room for conversation and dialogue. And again, when you lead by expressing your weaknesses and you show the perfection of Christ, that allows people to be comforted, to begin to confess their sin. And to be honest, uh, a lot of the content from the book is the premarital counseling that Alicia and I have been putting couples through over the last 10 years. And so what we did is we just updated with newer illustrations uh, and more vulnerability. And so what we're doing now is just communicating, you know, as I'm working through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, this is God's definition of marriage. And it can sound damning and condemning to people who don't fit that specific reality. And that's what we can say, but there's we have to communicate in the language of nuance because there's so much complexities in everyone's unique situation. So we say, how does the gospel speak to your nuance in life? And how can you be comforted? How can you be corrected? And how can you be challenged? Especially if you don't come from what we know as a nuclear family, that you don't feel like you're a second-class citizen. So telling people, you're not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God just because you don't fit this profile. Like, God loves you no less if you're divorced or if you're widowed or if you're unmarried or if you have a child out of wedlock. So it's about showing the tangible expression of God's grace. That only comes with time together, not just a 35-minute sermon on a Sunday. So it's about building that community and weaving the gospel into the fabric of the community and showing people this is how God loves us. Well, at the same time, you're weaving that gospel intentionality into how you guys are raising your kids. And as you mentioned earlier, you got a 4-year-old all the way through to a 14-year-old. and That's how are you raising your kids to understand? Well, obviously, the 14-year-old is a lot easier to understand your past mistakes than the 4-year-old. But how are you helping your kids to learn from the mistakes from where you came from, the redemption that came in Christ, and as you're preparing them all to launch? What does that process look like? I think it just, it honestly just comes natural through our conversations with them, you know, whether it's during a homeschool moment where, you know, they see something and they're like, wow, like this, why does this person feel this way about their, their sins? And, you know, and so we kind of just use that as a great way, a segue for us to talk about them, talk with them about our passions and our struggles. And I know Damon has had a moment in our, our uh, conversation with our oldest who kind of came out one day and just asked, hey, Dad, were you sexually pure before you were married? And it, hit, it took him by surprise, but it was just a great way for us to, he started the conversation, we continued it when she came home, and we're still having that conversation to this day to help her realize these are the mistakes that we made, but praise God we've been forgiven, and these are the things that we want to help them understand why it's important to safeguard your heart, why it's important to strive for purity, why it's important to walk in truthfulness and walk with an understanding that we're going to be faced with many challenges. And so we just honestly do it through natural conversations, but discipleship is important. We take that very seriously. And we, especially for our oldest, we allow um, other sisters in Christ that I've either discipled or walking in discipleship with that are older, um, whether they're single or married, pour into the lives of our children as well. Um, and so that's kind of been helping us as we kind of continue to prepare our kids in their season of being launched out of our house, too. Hey, we're talking with D.A. and Alicia Horton about their latest book, Enter the Ring. You can check them out online at dahorton.com. That's dahorton.com. And we'll also have that link up there on our Facebook page later. All right, this won't necessarily be my last question, but I really want to make sure I hit this for today. You say on page 182 of your book, 
that every Christian is a missionary and every piece of ground we walk on is our mission field, which goes right along with what we talk about and I work for him all day long. You go on to say that that is our calling, married and unmarried. Our identity is not based on being married, divorced, single, or widowed. Our identity is centered on the fact that we are in Christ. How do you help equip your Christ follow the people in your congregation, those Christ followers every week, to know that the 95% of their life they spend outside of the four walls of the church, how do you spend that time equipping them and recognizing their identity in Christ? Yeah, so it's even the way that we structure our time on Sunday. We open our time with a call to worship. So we're telling everyone we are not gathered here to focus on our preferences. We're here to focus on God. So we open up with a corporate confession of our sin. That's, that's how we open our service. The way we end our service is with what we call a missional blessing. The missional blessing is when we don't dismiss, but we say basically we'll summarize a point from the sermon and say now as you're entering your mission field, you are sent. So we're, and then we got that from Summit Church in North Carolina that commissioned us. And so that's what we're framing the whole dialogue by saying this is the only time when you've gathered together in this embassy that you can have a corporate rest from the work of mission so you can be refilled, but now you're going back out. And we're teaching them through the points of intersection in life, work, live, and play, how does the gospel speak to those environments, and how has God sovereignly put me in the place of work, in my home, in my community, and how can I have the eyes of a missionary and the heart of an evangelist no matter where I go? And it's constantly by repeating that, and and, and then throughout the week, shaping people to consider those truths as they're reaching out for wisdom and counsel with things that they embark upon while on the mission field. Elysia, speak to the ladies listening today from your heart about, you know, you, you came from, you guys had both had fairly uh, colorful backgrounds when you guys got married with lots of woundedness. Speak to those women out that are out there going, you know, I was married once, it was ugly, I don't know that it's worth it, but yet I think that you would say it's it's worth it if it's done in Christ. Absolutely. Um, that's the beauty of uh, God's plan for our lives, is that it's redemptive. And so no matter what we have gone through, no matter what we are currently in, God's redeeming power is ready there to be there to cover us again, to, to love us and to show us his plan for our lives that was intended for us, despite our sins and the mistakes that we made. I think it's important to find people that are willing to walk with us in life that can give us and provide discipleship and accountability. You know, I feel like those are two ingredients that we are missing and we don't talk about enough how it can not only help us individually, but also it should help us in our marriages and that we should fight for that. And so having people that are going to love us and to work with us and to show us how to mature in Christ, I feel like it's so important. So it's not impossible, but with God, absolutely, it can be possible. Amen. Hey, DA, give a plug for your church in Los Angeles because we got Los Angeles listeners. Where can they find out about it? Yeah, you can go to rfla.org. That's for Reach Fellowship Los Angeles. We meet in Jordan High School on the north side of Long Beach, right off the 91. Oh, DA and Alicia Horton, thanks for being on I Work for Him today. Thanks for sharing your story. Enter the ring. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you Thank both. You. It was really a lot of fun talking today with DA and Alicia Horton. Enter the ring is their book. If you want to get a copy, you can just call our, our listener line, 866-713-9675. What was your biggest takeaway? Five seconds or less, Martha. Oh, I just think they all-encompassing aspects of marriage are so encouraging. It's unbelievable. Very encouraging. Absolutely. You've been listening to the I Work For Him radio show with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field. But ultimately... 
I work for him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him podcast with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Please visit IWorkForHim.com to learn more about connecting your faith and work, to join the I Work For Him nation, or subscribe to our weekly blog. You can also follow us on social media at I Work For Him to stay up to date and meet our guests. If today's message spoke to you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review will launch more workplace missionaries across America. That's at I Work For Him and online, IWorkForHim.com. I work the number four, him.com.